Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. Today, we're continuing with the second season of Scale, our series dedicated to the strategies and frameworks that drive business growth. As before, we've lined up a slate of brilliant leaders and thinkers from the likes of Google, Yelp and Udemy. These are all individuals who have successfully propelled their company to a new stage of growth despite the odds. Over the past two series, we've learned that there is no magic formula to scale, but we're hearing from people who are willing to share the growth levers they've found and the advice that they have for others looking to expand their business in just the same way. This week, we're joined by Nick Franklin, CEO of Chart Mogul, the analytics platform for subscription businesses. Our own Kate O'Hannon caught up with him at SaaStock last year, and their conversation covers customer retention, the importance of building strong relationships with innovative peers, and the benefits of co-marketing and partner initiatives. It's a really interesting chat with lots of useful advice. So without further ado, let's hear from Kate and Nick. All right, well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot for having me, Kate. To kick us off, can you give us a quick rundown of your journey with Chartmogul to date? Sure, well, um, we just celebrated our fifth year anniversary. Congratulations. As a, as a company, October 1st. So, yeah, five years ago, was working for Zendesk and then uh, left uh, to start this business. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we, we make a SaaS product for doing subscription analytics uh -huh. um, and, uh, you know, measuring things like monthly recurring revenue, churn rate, lifetime value, cash flow, even gap revenues. And uh, we've been going for, yeah, five years. We're about 34, 35 people now. And yeah, we've gone through, a, you know, all the ups and downs that a startup goes through over five years. You know, we started off sort of remote, then we tried to do the in the office thing. And then we kind of switched back to a fully remote last year. And I don't know, all sorts of ups and downs. As, as you yeah, know. and that's an incredible milestone, I think, getting to those five years. So what prompted you to make that leap then? So coming across from Zendesk, a really established, successful business, and taking that jump to building your own product and, and branching out on your own? Uh, yeah, so I'd been at Zendesk also five years when I left. So I was you know, looking to, to have a change. Sure. I also, on, at Zendesk, I was on the commercial side, doing sales, setting up sales teams, support teams, these kind of things. But I, prior to Zenes, I'd been a product manager and I felt like that's more where my heart lies. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get back to building, designing and building product and also to see if I can try and do a startup, make a startup successful. So there was these two things, so one, kind of two motivations that, that led to me wanting to, to leave, just do something new, a new challenge, but also get back to product. Sure. So then in that, how did you determine that there was a need for a tool like Chartmogul? So you'd made the decision to leave. What made you determine, yeah, that that need was there? I mean, the need actually came, so the idea sort of came from, at Zendesk, we'd built out some internal dashboards for measuring monthly recurring revenue growth and things like this. Right. And, and we were using a SaaS tool for the front end part of that. And I just felt like, you know, this wasn't quite uh, the modern SaaS, well-designed, easy to use, democratized or consumerized experience that, you know, that SaaS like Intercom and everyone is supposed to be trying to like deliver. Uh -huh. And it was also not so empowering. It was like, I, I was running sales for Asia at that time. And 
you know, you could see maybe total revenue, but if you want to compare, uh, you know, average revenue per customer in Hong Kong versus Singapore, something like this, it was like hard to kind of do this segmentation. Mm -hmm. um, so it was not super empowering for me as, as the re regional sales leader. So I felt like there's an op there has to be something here. Like it seems like SaaS, consumerized, nice user experience has not really made it to the BI, data BI world. That was my feeling. So okay. the idea came from that. So, and, and even though it was not a great experience, it was still quite addictive to keep checking these numbers. Uh -huh. You know, like keep saying, okay, you know, your, your performance is measured on how much you can grow the MRR in, in the region that, that you're responsible for. So it's quite addictive to keep checking it, mm -hmm. even though the, the experience and the features were not quite what I wanted. So I felt like, I think I can maybe design and build something better. You know, maybe that sounds a little arrogant, but I felt like if, if we make it just for subscription businesses only and not try to do like BI for everything, you know, we are not uh -huh. Tableau or Looker, we say BI for everything. We really specialize for this one type of business model of subscription, we can probably build something that's like better than using a general product for that. So this is where the idea came from and how it went. And honestly, at the time, I just thought, okay, maybe there's like maybe a few hundred other companies that care about MRR, like yeah. Zendesk maybe, because it's like 2014, yeah. 2013, 2014 kind of the idea. So like, I thought, okay, maybe it can be a nice small business, I don't know. And then it mm -hmm. seemed like, we got lucky in the timing, and then a lot of, a lot of companies care about these kind of things too. Yeah. So uh, not just SaaS business, but lots and lots of subscription businesses, and then mobile subscriptions getting popular and things like that. So yeah. kind of lucked out a little bit there. Yeah, well, they do say timing is everything, as cliched as it sounds, and we are getting to that stage where every business is becoming a subscription business in some way, whether that's on the B2B side or on the B2C side. So I love that that kind of need and that idea came from your own experience. So Chartmogul itself, you've more than a thousand or two thousand customers now actually. And a lot of these customers are small businesses. But we know that that SMB segment can be a tricky one, right? Because it can be really fruitful, but they're hard to retain. Yeah. So how do you balance that tension um, with your team? So we, we try to service from early stage startup where they're just starting all the way up to like mid-market and companies that do over 100 million in, in, in revenue. Um, and that's tough. And also, yeah, and you're right with the SMB. So two years ago, we introduced free plan because okay. we just like, the churn is really high with this early stage. So if you have less than 10K MRR, it's free. And then it's like, just use it for free. And if you get, if you're successful, then you can pay. Um, and that kind of solved a bit of the problem in that okay. we no longer almost care anymore. It's just like, there's no issue there. And then, yeah, I guess more and more over the last uh, years, our average deal size or the, the growth is mostly coming from our ability to close larger deals. Okay. Because like, yeah, we, we might add, you know, 20, 30 SMB customers a month but then we might lose a bunch of SMB customers too. Or startups go out of business, they get acquired. That happens a lot, it's surprising. Every single month we lose customers because they're getting acquired. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, which you, you would not think. So our ability to, to grow does also more and more come from our ability to close the larger deals. Yeah. Where it's like, and large deals for us aren't like six figure, but maybe 30,000. $40,000, $50,000 a year annual, annual contracts. These yeah. are bigger subscription businesses that have more complex requirements. And yeah, it becomes harder to grow for us without kind of being able to get these customers too. So it's, yeah, the SMB is kind of where we started, but I don't think we'll 
if we weren't also doing the bigger deals now, we wouldn't be able to continue our growth trajectory just servicing this SMB space. We're not. Some companies are lucky, right? Like uh, that, that they can, you know, pipe drive with CRM or, yeah. or Calendly. Or I don't know, but they can they can build a very big business with just lots of small, like tens of thousands of small businesses. But for our space, it, it seems like. You know, moving up market is is kind of the natural thing that we are, we've been doing now. So. so, kind of with that natural shift, then has your approach to retention uh, changed at all as the business has evolved? So, as you were in that kind of smaller SMB space, maybe at the very start, where it's almost that old world SaaS model of just get them signed up, drive yeah. them to conversion. Have you seen a change in retention? Or there's definitely a shift in our business okay. in that. Uh, it, it used to be, I guess, a couple of years ago that we'd think, okay, how do we how do we increase conversion? How do we get more leads in the top of the funnel? And we, you know, a lot of that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas now it's like we, we shifted the focus really 100%. It's just on churn reduction and retention, uh, in, in retention improvement. Gotcha. That's all we care about because that's the only thing holding the growth back. If you lose a customer, you don't only lose that revenue, but you also lose the natural upsell that you get from that customer as they grow. And you'd also lose probably word of mouth because if they cancel, probably they might not recommend you as much anymore. So which and word of mouth was our number one driver. So you get like these three different things that hurt you by losing a customer. Mm -hmm. And I think just once you get uh, big enough, five years in now, we just said like the ability to increase the top of the funnel and the conversion, it's like it's hard to fight against churn mm -hmm. with so many customers, so we just focus on churn reduction. Like, that's the thing that will have the, the biggest impact on our growth is just retention at this point. I yeah. don't think that's the case when you're really starting out, but at this point, that's, that's all we focus on. So it's definitely been a, a shift in focus for us. So it's just systematic about listening to customers. Yeah. And yeah, sure, if they're a really big customer paying like tens of thousands of dollars a year, you know, maybe sad as it is, you listen to their, what they're saying a little bit more closely than mm -hmm. if you know it's a smaller customer paying $100 a month or something. But there are no silver bullets in that, right? There's no kind of quick wins on the retention side. It really is all about listening to users. Mm. Yeah, it's great when there very occasionally there is a quick win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's like they haven't found okay. the setting that would actually make them happy and it's already there. That's that's wonderful. But Ideal. Uh, and then occasionally it's like a very simple thing that you can just do quickly. But usually, more often than not, it's something much more structural or fundamental. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we are aware of those things and it's like, we are kind of working on those, but it's like multi-month projects to, to get something that fulfills those more complex requirements yeah, gotcha. for, for bigger businesses. So for you then, as a business, you've had, since you've been founded, a number of competitors come into the space. So how are you maintaining your edge in the market? What are you doing so to I think, set yourselves uh, apart? I guess it's two, two things. One is um, like relentless focus. So some of our competitors, they, they have lots of different add-ons or something, mm -hmm. and we're like, yeah, okay, you can make money there, but it's, I feel like it's not in our core competency of subscription reporting and analytics. And so we should just uh, stay like super, super focused just there and don't get try to resist any temptation to, to move outside that. So that's one way to stay competitive. Any time spent doing something else is time away from your core. And I still think we haven't really solved the core for the whole market yet. So, so we're still just focused on this core, our core thing. And then the other part is the biggest thing about staying competitive in SaaS is just um, making sure that you keep the rate of like innovation and the rate of development and the rate of improvement at a good pace. 
which is all about like the team, getting the right people, keeping the getting great people on board and then keeping them. It's like super cliche, right? But like, and then making sure that you you kind of keep that rate of innovation. And so like, if you can keep your like rate of improvement, your rate of R&D and development and rate of innovation higher than your competitors, then over time it compounds and you win. And it's, it's all this balancing. Of course, you have to get the right people, you got to retain them, but then you also have to balance like, okay, is it, you know, should we pay down tech debt, which would speed up development? So it's like, balancing act of spinning all these plates, but keeping that rate of innovation high and a, a constant is, is, I think, the main thing. Yeah, and I think that's something that we have heavily, or we heavily believe in at Intercom. Like, shipping is our heartbeat. It's what we do. So getting new things into the hands of our customers really drives us. So it's brilliant to hear that there are people who um, kind of believe in the same thing that we do. So um, in terms of, and this is switching gears a little bit, but I want to take us back um, and talk a little bit about acquisition strategies. So one of your first hires was Ed Shelley as your director of yeah. content. So. What I'd like to know is why did you decide to bring on marketing so early or invest so heavily there in the company history? So, I don't know why exactly, like what I was thinking at the time, but I just remember th thinking like content's super important, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of our space, what was driving interest was like people like our investor, Christoph Jans, he published like this SAS metrics blog posts and Excel sheets or Thomas and uh, Tongos and Davis Scott, they're publishing a lot of content around SaaS metrics and these kind of things. So it just seemed like this was also driving the interest in the space. So I thought, you know, I, I, we want to become an authority in this space. So we should also be doing that. And I, I don't know, it just seemed like the time, like, you know, content was what you have to do. Right. And it's also extremely time consuming to do well, like uh, extremely time consuming to, to do well. And I, so yeah, I think it was the first post-funding hire mm -hmm. uh, that we made was to hire Ed, Ed. Shelley, the rock star, uh, who's now at Pitch, another great uh, company, uh -huh. uh, sadly. But he, four years with us, not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. <laughs> in, the, in, in, this, in the modern world. And uh, yeah, I think he did a really good job. And I think he's, 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 he's a computer science grad. He was working as a product manager. And then we hired him for content. So I think that worked really well because you know our domain is like a little bit technical and this so kind of it helped to it helped to have someone who wasn't from a marketing background doing content and we, we don't we didn't really think of it like mo traditional marketing just trying to create something of value and then publish it and that will that will help raise awareness of our company absolutely so you're getting someone who really understood your voice to create your voice and you have built up an incredible library of content. So we've got newsletters, an email course, a podcast series. Do you think you'll continue to invest in this area? Absolutely, yes. Like uh, we now have Ilya, who's okay. uh, the replacement of, of, of Ed. He's doing a, a fantastic job. And we've just, yeah, we're like refreshing the designs. And the, it's, it's, I, I'm really proud of our creative team. Like it looks like the quality of the designs of the case studies and things, it's like you're, you know, Fortune 500 company or something, but we are. We're 34 people, so it's like. <laughs> yeah, so are you still experimenting then? So do you still get to play around a little bit and, and like try new channels? Sure, any, I mean, any idea is, is worth trying probably. Like, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone, if Elio or Sarah or anyone doing content, I want to try this, of course, yeah, we'll try it. Brilliant. There's no, uh, 
Um, and I think another channel that has been a big contributor to your growth is the kind of co-marking initiatives you've run with integration partners like yeah. Stripe and Recurly and PayPal. Absolutely. So what are some of the initiatives there that you feel have had the most impact? Yeah, the co-marketing, the integration, co-marketing, you know, especially in our early days, like we launched integration with Stripe first. So doing co-marketing with them, getting on their app store, doing co-marketing with Braintree, PayPal with Recurly and Chargeify, Chargebee doing webinars together. You know, I even I remember doing a tra training the Recurly sales team about our, our products. So getting like strong relationships with, with, with those companies early on mm -hmm. really, really helped to in the early days, absolutely. Uh, and still helps today, being like a featured partner when you go to Recurly's like partners page, being like featured partner, really important. Other things, yeah, the partners thing is great. Uh, the, thing, the reason I love the partners, the integration partner stuff is you, you, you build integration, improves the product, mm -hmm. and you get like this free marketing like playbook, you know, they blog, they email, you put it in your newsletter, they put their newsletter. So it's, it's, it's sort of product-led marketing thing. So it's, it's, it's awesome. What other stuff we tried? I lost everything and everything under the sun. You know, sure. we do the events. We have a, we have a booth like it, like, yeah. like it not, not quite as nice as intercoms, but we have a booth just over here. And so we've been doing every year SaaS stock booth and these kind of things, which is, I don't know how effective it is, but it's fun and it, it helps build the brand. And we are a remote team, so it brings like seven or eight of our team together uh, here as well. So it's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that building those relationships early seems to have been key um, and getting in there and meeting the team to build out those partnerships and, and drive that co-marketing initiative seems to have been brilliant for chart mogul growth. Um, so let's talk a little bit about people before we wrap up. So you've said in the past that past a certain size, every problem is a people problem. What did you mean by that? I've said that in the past. It, it sounds, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's not even my quote, probably. It's like, uh, but I think it, it's pretty much true, right? Like, as long as the strategy is more or less right, mm -hmm. every other problem is, is like, uh, related to the people. Like, my contribution of one out of 34 it's making sure that everybody is working together well, that they are a good fit for company. Yeah. So I, I think you, usually it's always related to the people. You know, if something goes wrong somewhere, you can trace it back to some, somewhere that people did not collaborate right or the right people were not involved. For my job anyway, as, as the CEO, just getting the right people in the company and making sure they work together well and they are empowered to do the, the, the best work they can do is, is, is basically the, the only challenge really. Yeah. It's only like the, there's no other, there's nothing else that's really challenging, but yeah. that that's a massive challenge. I feel it's really hard, but there's nothing else that's really like uh, super challenging, gotcha. I guess, uh, for, for for me. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. 
The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. In terms of getting the right people, so you have now unlocked a global workforce. So Chartmogul's gone fully remote. How do you kind of, or what led you to the decision to take the company fully remote? So I know you played around a bit with it in the past, but this year you really went all in. Yeah, like uh, that's that's correct. It was it was a number of decisions, some personal about where I wanted to live, and some kind of practical in that we had already 45% of the company remote and 55% in Berlin office. Gotcha. And we were finding like Berlin's getting hotter and hotter as a market for, for, for hiring. So you get, you know, it's not, it's nothing like San Francisco or whatever, but, you know, attracting talent and, and keeping the talent and the prices were also getting more and more higher. So more and more it was becoming easier to hire remotely and then sort of having half in-house and half remote is disempowering mm-hmm. for the people that are remote. Yeah. So I think it's either you get everybody in the office or you have nobody. And then it's, you can design your business for one of those two strategies. We, we chose for remote yeah. and I think we did it a year ago. So we're like about 11 months into this yeah. of being fully remote and it's worked really, really well for okay. us. Um, it suits my style. I can see in the crowd here, Peter, He's in uh, Amsterdam working remotely and, you know, like it, it suits Peter's style. Yeah. So, it, you know, I think it changes dynamic a little bit, but and probably doesn't work for every business. But ours works really, really well. And we like it. But what goes into maintaining the culture then? So if you have people located all over the world, how does the culture of the business continue to evolve or thrive? I think you do town halls every month. Mm-hmm. You do stand-ups. You do meetings in the, within the teams. We do off-site, there's like small off-site, so we just conference sort of off-site, like eight, seven or eight of us here. Yeah. And then I think this week our, most of our engineers are in, uh, in Prague or something for a conference. So, and, th- and then also every year we do the whole company off-site somewhere. So next month we'll, the whole company is going to uh, Mallorca. So that's fun. A few days we'll do our like 2020 kickoff and sure. we'll have our five-year anniversary party. Yeah like a month late there as well so um Brilliant. You, you do what you can right there is yeah. there are there are there are always pros and cons to every setup like remote can also be lonely for people so we work that out and and where we have a clusters of people we do have like we have uh, we work in seoul we have a small office in berlin in a in a co-working space where there's like seven or eight people in mm-hmm. berlin and then in toronto now we got like six seven people and there's a co-working space they can use as well so by default, the default is remote, I guess. Yeah, but ultimately it, it sounds like people stay close. So they're still seeing one another, whether that's at your um, offsite, your annual offsite, or whether that's through the event, or whether that's just based on their location, they're still getting that time with one another, and yeah. they're still building those relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to kind of get towards wrapping things up, in terms of Chart Mogul, you've turned five, you have the birthday celebration coming up albeit you might be celebrating a little bit later. Um, For others on that journey to scaling up, 
What advice would you have for them? Oh, uh, if you're earlier stage than us. I mean, I think a lot of it is just to... I, I, best piece of advice for me is, is, is been, um, you know, not, not to give up and to just keep pushing. And if, if, if you're unhappy about something in your life, to fix it. I think a lot of founders I speak to, it's like the biggest things that have impacted the business longer term that they've done is, is kind of fix their personal life in a way. <laughs> you know, like uh, right. got to the point if they are happy and excited and motivated, then that gets like reflected in the company they are building. As, this, as the founder CEO, you have this outsized impact on the, the trajectory of the business. So I think, you know, taking care of yourself is really important. It's hard to like, I don't know, it's cl some cliche self-help stuff. But you know, if, if you're not happy yourself, then you, it's hard to make other people happy. So, you yeah. know, making sure you take care of yourself, do exercise regularly and all this kind of things. Yeah, I think before you can almost give your energy to something else or yeah. other people, you need to first get that energy and give it to, to yeah. yourself. And that must have been particularly important for you kind of as a, a solo founder in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, solo, solo founder, plus and minuses, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. a lot of, a lot of I, I've been really lucky in that we, we're good at fi finding people that I guess have, have been here four or five years as well. So some some people uh, who've been around a long time, very close to that, cl close with them, and you know that it's a good sounding board. Yeah. Uh, and also friends with other founders really helps because you can kind of say, oh man, like this, this, uh, and like, yeah, I had the same thing like two months ago. So you kind of like have a support group has really helped. Our, having our in investors uh, really helps there because they do like an annual founder summit gotcha. where they bring all the founders together that's really nice um, yeah wasn't that where you kind of struck up that initial meeting with the guys at point nine was that how that all sort of kicked off so so christoph was an investor in in zendesk mm -hmm. early days and gotcha. I, I worked there so i kind of had his e i never met him but i had his email uh some email threads with him gotcha. um so he was when when i left zendesk he was really kind to introduce me to some of his startups before they even invested invited me to their founder their founder meetup so I was like trying to get the founders at, at this meetup back in 2014 to, to uh, sign up, like companies like Typeform, mm -hmm. uh, to sign up for using our beta product before we'd even publicly launched. So that was, that was great. So when we, when we actually raised our first round, I didn't do any pitching. To, wow. I mean, I, I pitched to them, but I didn't do what you're supposed to do as a, as a, as a founder. It's like get, maximize your valuation go up and down yeah. Sand Hill Road or something. I didn't do any of that. I just okay. like, it was, I was like, okay, well, point nine, I will just email them again and yeah. uh, spoke with some more of their team and then the, the investor wasn't, uh, and, uh, yeah. And that was also when we did our follow-on that we did the same thing again, didn't do the whole, uh, yeah. didn't do the whole thing you're supposed to do. So it sounds like <laughs> the main advice there then is ultimately look after yourself but also maintain relationships. So don't be afraid to tap into that network to find value and kind of purpose moving forward. So um, last thing, what about future goals? What's next for Chartmobile? Yeah, I think like we are still like focused on our core, mm -hmm. subscription analytics, subscription metric reporting, subscription revenue reporting, and actually like, yeah, okay, for a lot of SMB SaaS companies, maybe it's sort of solved. There are still some things we need to, that are missing, but it's sort of solved. But for a lot of companies as they scale, their requirements evolve and then maybe we're not suitable anymore. Mm -hmm. So we want to solve that. We want to be able to grow with our customers as they even become huge industry leading subscription businesses. So we're just going to focus purely on our core. We yep. want to be able to service a startup. Just as you're getting started, get your first customer, we want to be there. And then all the way as you grow up into a massive company making over 100 million ARR and still be like 
an integral part of your stack, of your tech stack. So that yeah. and, and there's still quite a bit of work to do there. So maybe we will have solved that problem in the next two two years. Who knows? And then you know, but we are still very very f heavily focused on R and D. Like we don't uh, engineering is like half the company. Product and engineering and design—it's like way more than half. We don't—we're not pouring money into sales and marketing. Maybe yeah. that will change in the future. I don't know, but for right now, it's just R and D, R and D, R and D, which I like. So. Well, Nick, the next time we have you on, um, I'm keen to know and catch up on on whether you met these goals over the the next couple of years. Um, so, last thing, where can listeners go to keep up with you? Me personally, Twitter, I guess. Okay. Uh, I'm Nick N I C K underscore Franklin. So Nick underscore Franklin on Twitter, and then, uh, I don't know, chartmogul.com and our blog, these kind of places. So. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. So it's been much, brilliant. Kate. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed our chat with Nick. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Scale, delving into the strategies and frameworks that drive growth after the startup phase. We'll be hearing from Yvonne Chen of Udemy for Business. Make sure you don't miss that or any other upcoming episodes by subscribing now at iTunes, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a review. It always helps to spread the word. This is Inside Intercom. <laughs>